Well, spring is almost here, right? It's got to be almost here. Promise me. I mean, we had the time change, so that means spring is coming. I can feel it. I am ready for something different. I'm ready to be warm again. You know, I want to see those flowers popping out of the snow because I like the change of seasons, and I am ready for a change. This morning, I'm excited also to kick off a new season of messages for the weeks of Lent leading up to Easter. We just finished eight weeks on how God brings hope to our relationships, and I have to say I got more emails and hallway conversations about that series than just about anything I've done previously because, you know, our relationships really hit, uh, hit close to home, obviously. If you missed any of those Sundays, you can always go to our website or better yet, download the church app and you can watch all the previous sermons and videos. Uh, you can even download the printed text of the messages, email that to friends or family, whatever. It's just a great resource if you're traveling and you have to miss some weeks so that you can catch up with the different message series. Uh, our new theme is going to continue our emphasis on the word hope by talking about sharing hope. And the new series, as Annie said, is going to be based on this little book called uh, Surprise the World by Michael Frost. And I'm encouraging everyone to read it. The staff is reading it, the deacons, the elders. It's just a simple uh, way to talk about how do we engage uh, our faith with other people. I'm also, as she said, going to be leading a discussion group on the book on Tuesday nights starting this week at 7.30, and that's open to everybody. Would love for you to come. If you don't have a small group that you're currently involved with, would love for you to come and join ours on Tuesday night. Sharing hope, it's all about building into the life of our church just some simple weekly habits, some realistic ways to share the hope of Jesus in our community to help us look outward rather than always inward about ourselves, not just in the church. And the five habits described in this book are just, they're, they're the best thing that I've seen in a long time that are just easy, effective, guilt-free ways of naturally connecting with others about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. They describe a lifestyle that allows our faith in Christ to just kind of naturally flow out to touch the lives of others in a realistic way. So we're going to jump into that this morning. Last summer, I read a blog about a, a father from the Midwest who took his five-year-old daughter to the Jersey Shore for the very first time, and he was terrified. I mean, with the tides and the rip currents and the sharks, he was like a nervous wreck. And so he watched his daughter like a hawk, couldn't take his eyes off her, couldn't relax even for a second as they played along the ocean's edge. And his daughter picked up on his anxiety, and, and to set him at ease, she said in her own five-year-old way, don't worry, Daddy, I can swim in the ocean. It's okay, I'm not afraid of the sharks, because I'll be on top of the water, and they'll be underneath the water. Well, that didn't help him one bit, because that's exactly why he was so nervous. I'm on the top of the water, and the sharks are underneath and I could identify with that so well because I'm from the Midwest myself and I have the exact same fear of sharks and swimming in the ocean. I'm on top of the water, they're underneath, and they're hungry, you know, and they're going to come up and get me. I guess I've just seen too many of those Animal Planet shark specials, you know, with the, with the great white leaping out of the water to get a poor seal off the coast of South Africa. Well, the man's daughter had a completely different idea. You see, fear is a funny thing. When I'm at the ocean, I'm always afraid I'm going to be eaten by a shark. I grew up swimming in lakes, you know, nothing to worry about in a lake except maybe a snapping turtle. But in the ocean, just the idea that there are things bigger than me swimming around 
and they're hungry. That just terrifies me. Now, I don't know anybody who's actually ever seen a shark, not even a little one. I've never heard a report of a dangerous shark at any beach I've ever been to. In my head, I know it's an irrational fear. The odds of getting attacked by a shark in the United States, it's like one in 11 and a half million. And the chances of actually being killed by a shark are one in 264 million. The last fatal shark attack in New Jersey was in 1926 in Seaside. I'm never going there. Okay. But death by shark attack, it's so infrequent, you're more likely to be suffocated accidentally in bed while sleeping or accidentally die from just falling out of a chair. And we're all sitting in chairs today, so somehow it's all working out, okay? Fear is a funny thing because most of the time it's not based on the truth. But once fear takes root, it is so hard to get it out. So why begin this new series on sharing hope, talking about fear? Because often fear holds us back from some of the very best things in life. The ocean is beautiful, but I'm too scared to really enjoy it because I think there might be a shark out there. That fear holds me back from really experiencing all the beauty and all the things that the ocean has to offer. Often in the Christian life, There's no word that strikes more fear into the hearts of believers, no word that makes us kind of look away or avert our eyes or pull the covers over our head than the E word, evangelism. So much anxiety and stress around that word. Sure, there are rare few who are gifted at evangelism who are excited about it. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But so many of us as Christians, we just cringe at the mere mention of the word. 90% of the folks, we break out into a cold sweat thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Jeff's going to make me go door to door, talk with strangers about Jesus. Hives, rashes, Benadryl all around for the intense allergic reaction to any talk about evangelism. Because what pops into people's minds is the image of the apocalyptic street corner preacher or the person who's handing out tracts randomly at the shopping center. I mean, everybody's polite. But on the inside, we're thinking, those folks are weirdos, right? And the next time, I'll do everything I can not to be accosted by them. So why does the word evangelism cause us so much anxiety? It's because we fear being embarrassed. We fear not being able to say the right thing. We fear looking foolish because in our world, talking about faith is sometimes looked down upon. Faith is private, and we're afraid of maybe offending others. And worse, there are many folks in our world who are not just neutral towards faith, they're actually hostile towards the Christian faith. I don't want to start an argument. I don't want to be put on the spot. I don't want to be labeled as a bigot or narrow-minded or all those other things. I don't want to be rejected. You know, peer pressure kicks in. I don't want it to hurt my career or my social standing. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be ostracized. So it's better just to keep my mouth shut. And maybe I don't even know my faith well enough to talk about it intelligently. So there are a lot of reasons why any conversation about faith sharing makes Christians nervous. Even though it's really like the fear of sharks, it doesn't really match up with reality. Now, I am not a natural evangelist. Talking about my faith did not come easily to me. It's something I had to learn how to do. I do not have the gift of evangelism. But I've learned how to overcome my fears and how to use the gifts that I do have in opportunities of sharing my faith. Praise God. I'm grateful the times that many times I've had to 
to be with someone to help invite them into a personal relationship with Christ as Lord, to be with them to pray as they receive Christ as their Savior, sitting on the tailgate of a pickup truck with a high school junior quarterback of his football team, seeing him kind of slip over into the kingdom of God with tears in his eyes, saying of Jesus, I never knew anybody could love me that much. Once up high in the Andes Mountains with a woman who came as a guest on one of our mission trips to Bolivia, a New Jersey college teach professor. But she had a deep hole in her heart that only Jesus could fill. And beneath the awesome panorama of the Andes Mountains, she gave her life to Christ. Or kneeling in the sanctuary with a college student who had stopped by our church once because he had to do a research paper on some religion. He had no idea where to begin. So I shared with him just a simple gospel message. A year later, almost to the day, he came back and he said, I have not been able to stop thinking about our conversation for the whole last year. And so we prayed in the sanctuary, kneeling, and he received Christ. He's now a Presbyterian pastor in Delaware. I'm so glad God is able to use my gifts in talking with people about Jesus. And if you've never taken that step yourself, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I'd be happy to pray with you today or sometime in the future. Uh, all our staff would be, all our leadership team, the elders, we'd all be ecstatic to do that with you. Because the joy of faith sharing, it's like being a spiritual midwife. You get to see the miracle of new birth happen right before your eyes. You didn't cause it, but you're able to participate in the process. So I do not have the gift of evangelism, and I still get nervous when trying to share my faith with others. Now, there are people who are naturally gifted by God as evangelists, but that is not what we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to talk about the, the other 90% of us. In his book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost puts it this way, when gifted evangelists tell the rest of us that we should behave like gifted evangelists too, it has a debilitating effect. We look at confident, articulate, theologically trained evangelists preaching in our churches, hear their stories of sharing the gospel on the back of a napkin in a restaurant or on a plane, and then we hear them tell us that we too can and indeed should do what they do, we freeze. We know we can't do what they do. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever known somebody who just seems so easy for them to share their faith Maybe you've heard in the past or in some other church context that, you know, you're supposed to be an evangelist too, that every Christian is an evangelist. And when you hear that, you say, well, I might as well just pack it in because I know that's just not me. Folks, the first thing we have to understand about sharing our hope in Christ is that we're not all meant to be, you know, a mini Billy Graham or a mini Luis Palau. We're not all meant to be evangelists like that. We're not all gifted that way. And in many instances, I think the church has kind of gotten it wrong and has just been dumping a load of guilt on people's shoulders with unrealistic and, and unreachable expectations, you know, that everybody is going to be an evangelist. That is not really the biblical picture of evangelism. So we're going to unpack that a little bit over the next few weeks. And first, we're going to start off by looking at two very similar passages, the first from the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And then Peter's words, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15. Here's the Colossians passage. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every 
opportunity, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, Dedicate your hearts to Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Two remarkably similar passages from two different New Testament writers. Paul and Peter, they both describe sort of two different groups, a, a difference between the gifted evangelists and the rest of us who do the work of evangelism, kind of a two-pronged approach. So first there are Paul and Peter, who are these bold, gifted, public speaking, wanting to run events and programs, publicly proclaiming, question and answering kind of evangelists who clearly with conviction can articulate and declare the gospel in a coherent and effective way. They are a gift to the church, people with the gift of being an evangelist. And we have some of those people in our congregation, but it's not all of us and it's not even most of us. We have those people, but we are all not that way. The second group of people are all the rest of us who are not evangelists, but who are called to participate in the work of evangelism, and it's different. It's a two-pronged approach. Peter and Paul, the gifted evangelists, and for them, he asked the church for prayer. Back again in Colossians 4, he says, And pray for us, so that the door for the message might be opened. And we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, proclaim it clearly. Paul is inviting and he's challenging the church, will you pray for us, the gifted evangelists, so that the opportunities will come up and when the opportunities are there, that we can hit a home run. That when we have a chance, we'll do it clearly and effectively. Paul is that open, or, open door guy. Peter is that outdoor preacher who gathered large crowds to hear the message of Jesus. But not all the evangelists were actually the big tent, big uh, outdoor type meeting people. The style of being an evangelist can also be different. You could be a local evangelist like Timothy. Timothy's a pastor in a local church. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, he is told that he does this work of being an evangelist. He's a pastor, but also an evangelist. So there are both. There are these, you know, traveling people who go around to speak to big crowds, but there's also this local person. It's one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. And so there are people who are just gifted proclaimers of the gospel, uh, traveling ones, but also people in the local church. And they don't necessarily have to be elders or pastors. They can just be lay people who have been gifted with the gift of evangelism. And for all of them, Paul, Paul says, church, your job is pray for these people. Pray that they can be bold and effective when God calls upon them. Your job is to pray and to take that role seriously. You know, we do have gifted evangelists in our congregation. The challenge for us is, are we praying for them? Are we even praying about evangelism? Are we praying about the, the people in our community who need to know Christ? I mean, when was the last time you really prayed about that? Are we praying for God to give them the opportunities to clearly and compassionately, sensitively share the gospel one-on-one -on -one in small groups with our high school students, in our neighborhoods, with strangers, with friends and family? Are we praying that our evangelists are having those opportunities? Are we supporting them through prayer? Paul says, I want you to be praying for them. 
Now, by saying it that way, he's not assuming that everybody in Colossae is in that category. The evangelist is a gift given to certain believers, but not to everyone. If Paul believed that everyone had the gift of evangelism, then he would have said, pray for yourselves. Pray that you have that opportunity. That's not what he says. He says, pray for us. So the evangelist is a gift given to a subset of believers, but not to all. However, evangelism, participating in the work of evangelism, that does belong to everybody here. For the rest of us, Paul wants something different. For the rest of us, we need to be doing the work of evangelism. And how do we do that? He says it's by living questionable lives. Living questionable lives. Be questionable. In other words, be a little bit weird, a little bit different, a little bit off-center compared to the rest of the people around you so that when people look at your life, they wonder, what's going on? It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace so that you can know how to answer everyone. Peter says, you know, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Writing to average believers, both Paul and Peter say, be ready to answer their questions. Live a questionable life. Their assumption is that if you're actually following Jesus, then you're going to live in a way that makes other people notice. If you're really living for Jesus, people will notice, people will be curious, and they'll ask, what's going on? The challenge from both Paul and Peter is to live a questionable life a life that invites the questions of others. If you're just a, a Christian and your life just kind of blends in with the rest of the world, something is wrong with that picture. This is why Michael Frost titled his book, Surprise the World. There should be something surprising about the way you live, something surprising about how you treat people or maybe what you do with your free time or how you spend your weekends or you did that Mexico thing on your vacation. You took vacation days to go to Mexico, there should be something questionable about what you do with your money. Michael Frost breaks down those questionable life things into five simple habits. And if you take these habits and do them, somebody's going to notice. And then we have to be prepared for the answer, and that's the equipping part that's part of the church's job, to know what to say when the questions are asked. One Australian pastor put it this way, he was watching TV and saw a new newscaster was interviewing the man selected as Australia's greatest dad for that particular year. He and his wife <clears throat> had children of their own, but they had decided to open their home to foster children and then to children who were refugees uh, coming to Australia. So they'd had a long string of children that had grown up and gone through their house. And they, they, uh, the commentator asked him, how do you do it? How do you do it? And what's next for you? And the dad simply said on national TV, well, my church is running a fundraiser for refugees, and we'd like to invite everyone to come. That's it. No preaching, no slick brochures, just seeking to embody a lifestyle of Jesus, to live his life based on Christ's sacrificial love, valuing others, finding ways to lift up others. But his dad was not an evangelist. But because of his lifestyle, the way he was living, he had the opportunity to answer questions. And it allowed him simply just to point people, here's the next step to get you closer to Jesus. And that was it. So here's the hard part. When was the last time we were asked any one of those questions? 
When was the last time we were asked about the hope that we have in Christ? When was the last time we were loving this world or living in this world in such a way that someone asked us, why do you love so much? Is anyone looking at our lives? Is anybody asking questions? Folks, this is something we can all do better, all of us. And that's what the five habits that Michael Frost talks about is all about. Two things, the gifted evangelist and the rest of us living questionable lives. Two prongs that work together. You know, if the message of Christ is going to grow and change our towns and cities and our world, we need both of those. It's sort of like the double edge of a scissor. You ever tried to cut paper with one part of a scissor? That's called a knife. You know, it just doesn't do very well. But the two blades, they don't even have to be very sharp. But when they come together, they slice. And that's what the biblical model is. And we need both. The gifted evangelists and those, the rest of us, who are just open to doing the work of evangelism. So we should identify and mobilize the gifted evangelists. If that's your gift, we want to support you in that. We hope that you will have opportunity to tell others about Jesus. But the second edge is to inspire the rest of us to try and live more questionable lives, to build authentic relationships, to invite people then to take a next step to hear more. It's an ancient model, but it still works. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Michael Frost's strategy that lays out these five simple habits. It's a simple acronym, BELLS, and everybody can remember it. it. stands for bless, eat, that's my favorite habit, listen, learn, and send. Very simple. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and send. It's something everybody can remember. And there is a step that we can take right away in learning how to respond when maybe somebody does ask about your questionable life, when someone asks you a question about why you're doing what you're doing. And I would like for you to memorize the following three statements, not as a sales pitch or prepackaged plan, but simply a way to kind of guide your conversation. Memorize these three very simple statements. They're printed on the back of your bulletin so you can take them home today. But when you're asked, you can say, I was put on this earth for a purpose to make it a better place. I believe the best way to do that is through love. And I believe the best example of sacrificial love is Jesus Christ. Simple, right? Non-threatening, positive, logical, not aggressive, not intrusive, doesn't put down anybody else or any other religion. It's not judgmental or insulting, but it does open a door. It invites more questions about, well, who is Jesus really? So it's good to memorize, just so that people ask you, you'll be able to have something to say to them. And I'd like us to say it together, if you don't mind reading it off the screen or off your bulletin with me. And in some ways, begin to make this true in your heart. Here we go. I was put on this earth for a purpose, to make it a better place. I believe the best way to do that is through love. I believe the best example of sacrificial love is Jesus Christ. Folks, let's live surprising lives. Let's put these words into practice this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that somebody was willing a long time ago to share the simple hope of Jesus with me. That all of us learned it from somebody, Lord, and we're not the end of the chain. That we should be those who are looking for that next person to hand the faith to whether it's in our family, our community, our workplace, wherever it might be, Lord. Help us to begin to develop the habits of living a questionable life 
so that other people might really notice, and not notice us, but notice you alive in us, and then that they too might have their own experience. Help us to have the joy of being a spiritual midwife of watching a new birth take place, Lord. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.